0: The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. Oh, it's so good to be here. I am blessed. Um, I grew up, um, I was born in Uganda, East Africa, and then uh, when we came to, to Canada, I grew up in Glad Tidings Church, you know, just down the way. And I was telling uh, Pastor Darren that when we would uh, come over here for some of you guys' great concerts, because everybody knew that Broadway had the best concerts, we felt like we were cheating on our church, so we wouldn't really tell like all the pastors and stuff, we'd just sneak off, we wouldn't even tell our youth pastor, but we felt like it was so exciting to be at Broadway Church, you know, and you're still the best, you're still the best, it's awesome. I'm blessed to be here, I thank you for allowing me this time, for Pastor Darren extending me this tremendous honor. Whenever I get the chance to to get on any platform, I want to kick the devil in the teeth, and and, and I'm here to do that today because the title of my message for all of us women and us mothers is the power of one desperate housewife. And you know what? There's a, a few awesome principles that are, are going to apply to you guys as well. So I hope that you're able to uh, to take something home today. I'm very excited about this. I want to read to you something. In 1 Corinthians 1.26, this is a, a, some verses that give me a lot of hope because I've spent most of my life hoping that I would be significant and wondering if I was actually just insignificant. I wanted to be somebody that mattered. I wanted to make a difference in the world. I wanted to leave my mark. And I don't know if you, like me, sometimes feel like I, I don't know if I missed it. I don't know if I missed doing God's call because I made some errors because other people made some errors that cost me part of my destiny. I wonder what does it take to actually fully complete the perfect will of God and is there such a thing when we are so broken and so fallen. Many, many years ago, I, uh, I went through such a breaking and such a, a mistake in my life that I didn't know if I would recover. It led to three years of absolute depression in my life and I wondered who I could ever be if if God could ever use me, if my shame could ever be wiped away. And I remember on a Wednesday night, I made my way to church and it was at Glad Tidings Church. And uh, I was going through an awful lot. And the pastor had brought in a life-size cross and he had that cross up on the platform. And I looked at that cross and I thought, that is a beautiful cross. But I didn't know how to receive what Jesus had done for me. I felt now because of my brokenness that I was always going to church with the perfect people. Do you know what I mean? Do you have the perfect people here at Broadway? They're your ushers, your deacons, Pastor Darren, you know? the perfect people. I felt like I had been so broken and so messed up. I'd, I'd, I'd made a mistake that cost me my marriage and, and I didn't know how I was ever going to recover because you see in my world, I I was from a great missionary family. So I thought that since I had such a good family, I was going to grow up. Everything was going to be okay. I would be significant and I would be perfect. And somehow I would always fit in with all the perfect people, but because of my brokenness, because of my pain, because of the mistakes that I had made, I found my Myself in a place where I didn't feel like I fit in amongst the assembly of the righteous and so I got to this church on this one day and the pastor wanted us to write down uh, three of our most prominent sins and I didn't want to write my sins down because my sins had cost me everything. I looked around and all the perfect people were quickly jotting down their sins. Of course they were. What had they done? I I looked across that same aisle. My godly missionary mom was there that night, and she was sitting on on the same pew as me, just down a few people. I looked at my mom, and my mom like, let me explain something. There's, There's like Joyce Meyer, right? There's God, Joyce Meyer, and then my mom. Okay she, she I've never heard her swear or nothing like she is perfect she's never worn makeup or earrings I mean this woman is getting a pass into heaven she has never attended a movie all right this was hard to live up to and I'm looking at her she's feverishly writing on her piece of paper I'm thinking what has she what has she done did she jaywalk at some moment I mean did she chew gum in church what had my godly mom done I was so curious about what was on her sheet of paper and then I knew that I had to write down my sins you see my sins. They had cost me everything. They had destroyed the opportunity for me to ever be significant. And I so wanted to be significant, but I'd ruined it. And so the pastor said he wanted us to get into the lineup and head up to that cross. And so I, I got into the lineup finally because, you know, everybody else was there. I was one of the last people. And I thought, if I just sit here, it's It's going to be like, um, you know, I'll have to add a fourth sin of rebellion towards authority. So I thought I better just go with what I've got. As illegibly as I could, I had written out my sins. No one was going to be able to read that because I was afraid of one other thing. I was afraid that the pastors were going to go up to that cross the next day, you know, take down all the, the sheets of paper and read them and start lining up the people with the sins and then you'd be on the prayer list and all that. So I didn't want that to happen. So nobody was going to be able to read my sins, but I... I knew what they were. So I got into the lineup, and as I began heading towards that cross, I I began to come a little bit unglued because they started singing this song. Do you know this one? Oh, the blood of Jesus that washes white as snow. And there was one thing that my broken, dark heart knew is that I wasn't white as snow. I didn't think I was ever gonna be able to matter to God. I didn't think I was ever gonna be able to recover from what had happened. I, I didn't know how this was ever gonna work. That song said that it, his blood reaches to the, the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley. And all I thought in my heart was, I don't know if it can flow low enough to me because I've made so many mistakes. I, I, should, have, I should have been better. I had it all, I had a good family. I, I should have done better, but all I have is this brokenness. And then they started to sing, On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I felt like I was the shame. There's something the enemy does. The Bible calls him an accuser of the brethren, men and women, moms and dads. He's an accuser of the brethren. He doesn't accuse others. He accuses those in the household of faith because he knows that we know that we should be living better. And he began telling me, You're the shame. You're the shame. That song goes on to say that, you know, I, I will one day lay all my trophies down and exchange it for a crown. I had no trophies. I had ruined everything. I had caused pain in my family, I had caused uh, dissent with my friends, I, I, had, I had been the bludgeoning of my own reputation. I did not know how I would recover. And as I began to uh, sense and and feel this overwhelming sense of guilt and shame and the accusation of the enemy pounding me over and over as the enemy had done now for several years, I began to have the ugly cry and, and tears were flowing down my face and I began heaving inside. And it was all I could do to contain the pain as I got closer and closer to that cross and I looked up at that cross and I could almost see the, the body of Jesus shed, shedding blood for me, spit on, mocked, brutalized, beaten so badly that he wasn't even recognizable, that he had taken all of that and all my heart felt was, I just don't know how to get past my sin. You know, David in the Bible, when he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, do you know what he said? He said, My sin is ever before me. There's something about our sins when we're thinking about who we are that, that our significance seems to be placed into the sin. It's ever before us. What we did yesterday, what we did last year, what we did last night, the enemy knows exactly. And he sends his little cronies to come after us and to tell us that we will never recover from our sin that is ever before us. And as I was losing it and the tears were coming down and the shame and the brokenness was all I could see, the Holy Spirit whispered something very powerful into my heart and it changed my life. And it's the reason that I'm here today and it's the reason that I've decided I'm going to be a wrecking ball for the rest of my life against the enemy. Do you know what the Holy Spirit said to me? He said, was what Jesus did on that cross, was it just not enough for you? Must he die again so that you would receive the magnificent price he's already paid for your freedom? I stopped crying. I couldn't believe it, I I understood something for the very first time that it would be my arrogance and my pride that would place my sin above what Jesus did for that that moment I understood something that I had to replace that what Jesus did it was all-powerful it was enough that what he did removed my sin as far away as the East is from the West that that was actually true as a missionary daughter I could quote all the scriptures but I didn't I wasn't able to apply that into my soul and into my being when when I had actually dealt with the pain of our humanity because you see we go through life wondering if we're too broken to be used by God. This this scripture says in 1 Corinthians 26, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world. Praise God to shame the wise. He chose the things. He chose. But God chose the foolish things of the world to, change, to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts Boasts in the Lord I got a revelation that I didn't have to be one of the perfect people because I could never measure up to them what God asked me to do was to receive his righteousness to receive his holiness and he also promised me that if I would do that I would be one who could have extreme significance and operate in a powerful place do you know that when God formed you in your mother's womb that he had a great destiny uh, a call that is above and beyond all that we could ask or dream I got up uh, the very next day you know after I'd had that cross experience and actually that night the pastor said he later had to turn around to see who was smacking that nail into the cross so loudly because I got a revelation and it's not just because I was a bad shot because I was I wasn't good with a hammer okay but once I got that in I knew that God had released all the shame and I accepted for the very first time that what he did was enough that the enemy was not gonna tell me the lie that I would never be enough to be useful and to be powerful for God it changed my life I got up the next day and I remember saying God so so am I even Stephen like with the powerful people like am I even Stephen like with the Pope and he's like yeah you are my my blood is covered a multitude of sin and I'm like okay okay what about like um am I even Stephen like with Pastor Darren Someone knows I'm even Stephen with you, yes. And, and I felt the Holy Spirit say that you are even Stephen, you are perfected by me. And I'm like, all right, okay, let me give you a, a tougher one, God. What about like, am I on par with Billy Graham? Oh, that's a big one. And I felt him say, Laurel Lynn, if I can use Billy Graham, I can use you. And I'm like, okay. One more, am I even Stephen with Mother Teresa? And then he said, well, now you've gone too far. But, <laughs> but I understood something for the very first time in my life that if I was willing to receive what he had died to give me, I was gonna be unstoppable. I was gonna be unquenchable. There was gonna be a fire inside of me and I decided that I was not gonna let any enemy assault against my life ever tell me again that I was insignificant because of something I did. What we do that is wrong and sin before God simply qualifies us for his power. When we get that all mixed up, we don't know who we are. We don't know how powerful we are. We don't know that we can change the world, that we can do something that'll affect the nation. Some of you in here have a call on your life that is nation-changing. You just have to receive it. You can't let the enemy tell you that you're not enough. Years later, when God called me to television, people say, how'd you get into TV? I've been doing national television for a lot of years now. And you know what? I I was folding laundry. Sometimes God calls you in the most boring, back door, you know, desert experiences. You were just doing the most mundane thing. And I was sitting down in front of the television show and I was watching a Christian TV show and I was folding laundry and I felt the spirit of God come into the room. And, and, and I felt him say, I want you to do that. I want you to tell people about Jesus on TV. Now, I thought that was ridiculous. I had no experience. I had no education. Why would God call me to tell people, uh, you know, about Jesus on TV? I also still kind of wrestled, I don't know if you're like me at all, but you, you give God a lot of reasons why you're not the right person. Like there's better people for this God. There's more perfect people. And all of my life wrestling with the significance of who I am. And so as the Spirit of God told me that again, I want you to tell people about Jesus on TV. I had absolutely no qualifications for what God eventually uh, led me to. And I I began to sob and to cry in my living room. I ask you only one thing. When God gives you the call, like Moses at the burning bush, when there is a moment where God speaks to your heart something that he's asking you to do, would you just do one thing? Would you just say yes? Yes. Would you just be obedient and watch him open doors that no man nor demon can shut? Would you just do that one thing? Because if you'll do that one thing, if you'll just operate in the faith that God has called you to operate when he speaks, you also can be a complete nation changer. And so this is what happened is uh, the very next day I got up and I thought, you know, was that God or was that that nervous breakdown? I was always sure, you know, might happen to me. And I started pursuing. I I did a whole bunch of things which are also in my book that I'm uh, selling out there. There's my whole story of being broken, being a mess and finding God's path through to a victorious place. And so it was in that season, I remember telling my mom, mom, my missionary mom, you know, she's gonna understand. I've, I've received a call from God. You know, God has called me uh, to, to like be an evangelist, mom, like be a missionary on TV. And my, my fearless, um, amazing mom, do you know what she said? She said, well, um, dear, don't give up your typing skills. <laughs> I wrote that in the book. And do you know what my cousins said? My cousins who were, you know, I grew up with them and and I was telling them that God's called me to television. And so they even watched my kids while I would go and volunteer at Rogers Cable because she thinks she has a call from God. Do you know what they called me? They finally told me at my 50th uh, birthday party a couple years ago, Uh, a few years, uh, it was back. And um, so. So we're at my birthday party. You know how everyone roasts the the birthday person, right? They finally got up. Do you know what they said their term for me was? Back in the day when I felt I had a call from God, they called me delusional. How many of you are willing to look just a little bit delusional? to see God do something amazing in your life. I wanna uh, quickly get uh, close, are we done at 11.30 here? Okay, all right. I'm gonna tell you my very most favorite story that is in the Old Testament, and, and it is a story about someone who did something spectacular. And I think that this person like you and I might have struggled with significance because that's what we do, don't we? Don't tell me that you're different than me. I hope you're the same as me, that you you really kind of wrestle with this your whole life because you hope that you'll do all that God has called you to do, but you don't quite know if you've actually got the goods. And you see, there was a woman in Judges 4, her name was Deborah, Deborah. She was one who excelled. I mean, we all want to be like her. She's one of the perfect people. She was a judge. She was before her time. She was a, A person who led the way for women she she had a tree and she would uh, you know give her judgments to people who had issues well she was also a prophetess and one day the Lord said to her that he had uh, he had a plan that he was going to take away the um, the difficult oppression that a man by the name of King Jabin had had on the Israelites So I want you to track with me with a few of these names here because I'm about to reveal a story that is gonna show you and I that we might feel insignificant, but your life can make a huge difference. And so Deborah heard a word from God and she said said that she knew that God had said that he was gonna take out King Jabin's army and Sisera, who was the evil, horrible um, commander of that army. So Sarah had been brutal to the people of Israel. And so you know what Deborah did? She went to the commander of the children of Israel and she said to him, you know what, God has spoken, he's given me a word. And he said that we're gonna be able to defeat the, the, the king's men. And so um, she went to this guy. Now his name was Barack. So to help you to remember, we'll call him Barack Obama, okay? So she goes to Barack Obama, and she says, she says, um, God has given me this word. But you know what Barack says? You know, he, he heard the word. He knew that she was a, the real deal, a real prophetess and everything. Uh, but he said, well, okay, I'm willing to get all the people ready, but you know what, Deborah, I'm, I'm only going if you're coming to the battlefield with us. Now, Deborah did not appreciate this. And like all good women, and you know what I'm talking about, you know when you put your, your hands on your hips Because there's a problem and sometimes it's with your kids or your husband or people sometimes it's at work but you just know that someone is not operating in the same faith that they should be operating in and that's how Deborah felt and so Deborah says to him well and these were the exact words that ends up she says she said certainly I will go with you Barak Obama, but because of the course that you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. Wow, now if I was Deborah, I'd be thinking, okay, I'm a prophetess. I'm going to be the only woman on the battlefield. I bet I'm going to kill Cicera. I would just be thinking that. So here's what happened. They assemble their 10,000 men and Barak gets everybody ready. And so Sisera, the evil bad dude, he hears that this is going on. So he gets together his 900 chariots and they decide that they are gonna come you know, to blows and they're gonna take each other out. And Sisera's you know, convinced he's gonna win. Barak is hoping that because Deborah's there, they're gonna win. And so they go out to the battlefield. Now meanwhile, back on the farm, a few miles away, there's one lone woman and her name is Jael, and Jael is at her tent and she uh, is part, her and her husband Heber are part of the Kenites. Now the Kenites had been loyal to King Jabin, but the word of God says there had been a separation of the clan. Maybe they saw that King Jabin was not being good to the children of Israel, and so her and her husband, they were off on their own, and you know how life is. Sometimes there's pain. Sometimes there is separation. Sometimes things just don't work out the way that you wish that they would work out. Sometimes life just doesn't fall into place the way that you wished it would. And she looked around on this day and she was down by the river and she was washing the clothes and she was, you know, thinking about life and how she was separated from her family and life hadn't really turned out. And she looked around and she wondered where Heber was. He never quite knew. I mean, he was out killing badgers and stuff. He was in a cave. She, she didn't know where he was but where's Hebrew I don't know I'll just do this stuff and she did something that she had done a hundred thousand times she just did her laundry and as she hung it up I wonder if she like you and I looked up to the heavens if you've ever done this and said do I really matter am I significant does my life have meaning can I leave a mark? I wonder if she, like you and I, questioned the significance and the pain that sometimes life brings. And so, as she did that, she headed on back to the tent and, uh, you know, she stoked the fire like she'd done 100,000 times and she heated up some goat's milk. She sure knew how to do that well. But it didn't seem all that significant. And the wind was coming up, you see, and, and the tent was flapping around, and one of the tent pegs had come loose. And so she grabbed you know that hammer that her lovely Heber had made, and she looked around and she wondered, "Where where is Heber?" And she grabbed that hammer and she put the tent peg into the ground, and with the precision of a marked skilled hammer person, she took that hammer and she pounded that tent peg into the ground. She'd done that a 100,000 times. And I wonder if she, like you and I, wonder, does our life matter? Do we have any chance of being significant? As she sat there drinking the now warmed goat's milk, she looked across, and there was a man she recognized. You see, what had happened on the battlefield is that true to God's word, Deborah, and barack obama had actually leveled all of the evil um other uh, army and they had taken them out except for one lone guy Sisera. he got off his horse and he started running on foot like a, a scared little schoolgirl. and so he was going over the hills and he's heading and he saw the markings of the Kenites on on uh, jl's tent and he thought well this will be a friendly place because remember they had been loyal to king jabin but something had happened you see I think that J.L. and her husband had realized this wasn't exactly right. And so as to this very, very evil guy, begins to come nigh her tent, she realizes that the enemy's after my home. And when he gets there, do you know what he says? He says, just just let me in. He's all puffed out, you know, he's been running for miles. And he says, I just need to lie down. And if anybody comes anywhere nearby, just tell them that there's nobody in the tent. The enemy never wants us to let anybody know what's going on, right? Secrets keep the enemy in power. And so she, uh, she kind of lets him in and, and, and uh, he said that he needed some water and she knew there was something even better. If she would give him some of that warmed goat's milk, you know, ladies, it, it has melatonin in it, right? We all use it to put the kids to, to sleep a little bit faster. Uh, well, and and some other products, but. So, I always found, you know that stuff that you take when you're going on a plane? What's that called? Yeah, gravel, yeah, worked wonders, just a little tip. Okay, so. So she gets the, the 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 milk ready and she takes it into him and melatonin makes you sleepy and so as he's drinking the milk, you know, he's he's starting to you know get his breath back and he's drinking the milk and he lays down and she puts some of those badger skins over him and she does have one more thought. I don't know where Heber is. it sure be good to have Heber around here, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be good if Heber were home right now? And so she she lays the badger skin over him. She kind of tiptoes outside of the tent and she begins to hear him go into a sleep and into a snore and she realizes that something crazy's happened. The commander-in-chief of of the most wicked, brutal army that has cost her her life, that has cost her her family, that has cost their lives personally, that guy, he's in my tent. And she's like, what am I gonna do? And you see, Jael Walked around, and I I can see her maybe biting her nails a little bit, doing a little pace, looking one more time for Heber. But she does something crazy, something she's done 100,000 times that was so insignificant. She picks up a tent peg and a hammer, and she walks back into that tent. Remember what Deborah said? Cicero's going to be given to the hands of a woman. She didn't know about that prophetic word. She didn't know God's plan. She just knew that if the enemy is going to come nigh her dwelling place, he's going to have to deal with her and the power of the living God. And so she took that tempeg and she, as he's sleeping, she put it up to his temple and she raised that hammer and she, with the precision that she had honed in the back desert, feeling insignificant, she hammered down that that tempeg into his head, blood everywhere. It was awful. Anyways, you can't do that nowadays. It's more figurative. (laughs) Nobody went to jail. You were allowed to kill people. It's fine. It's an Old Testament story, okay? And so, so Heber's dead. Guess who shows up? Barak. And Deborah and they're like have you seen him she goes oh yeah I sure have come and see him he's in the tent well do you know what in the very next few days God had taken one desperate housewife who didn't know if she had any significance one woman we'd never even know her name and we in fact don't ever see her again after this in the Bible she brought peace to Israel for 20 years. Do you know what? It went viral. Her, they started singing about her. They had YouTube uh, hit series. I mean, it was nuts. Everyone was talking about her on Twitter and Facebook. Everyone knew her face and her name. She was made famous. All why? Because she dared to believe that she could just do one simple little thing that God asked her to do. And you see, when the enemy comes near your life, you gotta take the word and the sword of the spirit and you gotta tell him to back off because when you get up, the enemy needs to be afraid. I've decided in my life that I might be small and I might be blonde and, and I might have fake hair and fake nails and fake eyelashes also that we can be real for Jesus, but I am gonna take the enemy down if it's the last thing I do. So thank you for listening to me. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day, amen.